Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's show, just when you thought it was safe to not talk about Marvel. A heavyweight matchup of Spielberg's. And with Sony, is it out with the old and in with the old? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to our shows. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He's the man with the plan when it comes to Humanica Media. You gotta check out everything that's going on today at HumanicaMedia.com. Humanica Media on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and so much more. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? Hey, hey, I'm just currently reading up on my rumor mill about the James Bond director. Whether or not this one sticks, we'll have to find out, but uh, I like the prospects here. So tell everybody out there a little bit more about the first U.S.-born director ever to be a part of the James Bond franchise. Well, it's Kerry Fukunaga. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Danny Boyle backed out because of a quote-unquote creative differences. So now Kerry Fukunaga is stepping in to take over the director's role. But we'll see if it sticks because this film seems to have a notoriety for not being able to cling to directors very well, especially since you know Sam Mendes decided he didn't want to direct it so i'm i'm curious to see how it's going to do i imagine this will be the last daniel craig bond film but who knows man also i I just want it to happen though i just want it they've been talking about for so long i want it to happen i want to watch it i want to see it but you know it's anybody's guess if this is actually going to happen it is like you said carrie fukunaga he is going to be like i said the first u.s born director that's going to be a part of the james bond franchise I personally am going to be curious in the next few days how the people overseas in the UK, our friends over there with all the great stations and all their great listeners over there, everybody in the Great Britain, UK, everyone around Europe, how they're going to foresee this change in direction when it comes to directors that if they're going to be accepting of it, because like you said, this is something that's very big. This is something that hopefully will get the James Bond movie back on track because like you said, it will be the last Daniel Craig film. But 
I don't know if everybody overseas is going to be ecstatic about what's going on with this choice because it is something out of left field. Now, we've talked about all these different James Bonds that could be coming together as far as Idris Elba or Tom Hardy or any one of the number of people that have been rumored to be replacing Daniel Craig as we go down to more James Bond movies down the road. So it would be interesting to see where that lines up as far as a new James Bond movie is concerned. But we've got a great show for you today. We've got Rob McCallum standing by in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. He and I are going to go mono a mono over the Battle of the Spielbergs as far as our choices for which movies from the Spielberg library that we like the most. Then, of course, we also have Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. He's going to be previewing week three in the NFL with some tips and some player injury updates and, and some suggestions for your fantasy football team. And then Josh and I will be coming on the back end to talk about Sony. A couple of announcements were made at the Tokyo Game Show that have us, well, actually kind of reflecting in one sense. There's a lot of excitement over one of the announcements that was made, something that was very predictable, something that you could have seen coming a mile away. It's about time for it to happen. So we're going to talk about that on the back end of the episode. But first, Josh, it is Marvel. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water again, Marvel makes some big news all week long when it comes to being all over the place. And it isn't even a time for a Marvel movie to come out. Not only was there a great trailer from Captain Marvel this week, which we'll go in on here in a sec, but also some great television announcements as well in regards to their streaming service that's upcoming and ABC as well. We'll start off with the ABC one. They're hiring one of the writers from Wonder Woman to develop a Marvel TV show for ABC about female superheroes. This is something we've talked about as far as a movie sense when it comes to the Avengers. So what do you think is going to be in mind as ABC has tapped Alan Heinberg? He is going to be actually making up something for ABC when it comes to a Marvel female-led superhero television show. Yeah, it just depends on how they do it, who it is, you know, what kind of hype they build around it. I like the idea of it, but it would just it would have to be executed well enough for me to be interested in it. Because right now, you know, we've talked to us before, like I have a hard time tracking so many Marvel properties. I have the you know, I, I love the stuff that's on Netflix, but, you know, I the stuff that's on ABC, you know, stuff that's on ABC, Hulu, stuff like that. Like I have a hard time keeping track of it all. I can do the, the movies and maybe one extra series. But as far as like the the Disney streaming service mixed with the stuff on ABC, mixed with the stuff on Hulu. It's just, it's so much for me to keep track of. How do you feel about it though? I think it's something that ABC needs to look into. The first year of Agent Carter was very good for them. Obviously it did very well. Unfortunately, they were not able to retain that type of enthusiasm and momentum for season two and unfortunately got canceled. But for me, there is something there with ABC. If they do it right, Inhumans was not exactly the best thing in the world for them, but they have a great writer in Alan Heinberg. Obviously, he has a successful track record with Wonder Woman, and to be going ahead and given the chance to go and develop a series based in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with something like all the the great female superhero women that are out there, 
or just taking from one that we haven't seen so far on screen yet is really a good opportunity, I think, for ABC. And, and ABC needs to continue to try and, and reach into those Marvel properties because as a network that's running behind NBC and CBS, as far as ratings are concerned, they need to go ahead and keep throwing those darts to seeing what sticks with audiences. Now, something that we also are interested in is the heavy rumor that's out there that was reported by all the trade magazines, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, and whatnot, that when the Disney streaming service becomes live, that one of the things that they're looking to do is some of those other characters within the Marvel Cinematic Universe that have popularity, like Loki, like Scarlet Witch, maybe even a Hawkeye and some others, they might be involved in their own television series that's going to go straight to the network. Your thoughts on that, does that enhance your probability of getting the actual service? Does it, is that something that's a good idea that they can, can see the same kind of success on a Disney format with all those MCU heroes? Honestly, man, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I would really need a reason to get into it because right now I barely have enough time to watch the Marvel films going out to see them in theaters. So I would have to have a reason to get invested and to go out, not just go out to the theaters to watch these, but sit down and spend hours in front of my TV watching this. Like I, you know, I, I watched the Marvel series on Netflix, but really like I only watch them probably about a month after they come out and when I have a weekend to just sit there and do nothing. I actually have to schedule a weekend to do nothing to sit there and watch these. So, you know, like I said, it would have to be a good story, have to be something that really captures my interest. It would have to be something that would justify paying the whatever the cost of the Disney streaming services. And it would have to tie into the overall MCU in order to keep me interested enough to watch it from start to finish. I hear you as well, but I think there is going to be a lot more identity that a lot of people can find with a Loki, with a Scarlet Witch, with a Hawkeye, with a Falcon, with whoever it is that they want to go ahead and and have the series build around. For me, I think it works out a lot better because I don't think they've given enough love to those Netflix shows, I think it's sometimes they really don't have the quality and the feel of something that should be on a larger plane, like I believe they should. As we've talked about with the Defenders, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, from various points in times, it's been such an uneven ride as far as watching it. I just don't get that same sense of quality. And I think if they go ahead and give that kind of love to those shows that are heading towards the Disney streaming service, it might be actually a little bit more invigorating for a lot of those people that are so familiar with the MCU that they would want to watch it and, and eventually get the service and eventually watch those shows. The last thing we want to talk about right now when it comes to Marvel on this show is the trailer that finally dropped this week for Captain Marvel. Your thoughts on the timing first off before we actually get into the details and specifics of things we liked and didn't like about the Captain Marvel trailer. I think it was good timing. It was about the time where everyone was wondering where the trailer was, what's going to happen, when are they going to drop it. Uh, th this was about the same time we got a Black Panther trailer last year, if I remember correctly. But it was time. It was time to drop it, time to give us something, even if it's just a teaser. But they dropped a full trailer, which was, which was cool. But it was enough to quench our curiosity, but still enough to keep us wanting to know more about it. 
in the coming months, we'll know a little bit more about this last Marvel film before Infinity War Part 2. And speaking of the Captain Marvel trailer, let me start off by asking you this question. Does it make you nostalgic and want to go to a blockbuster video store anytime soon? That's funny because the first time I watched it, I was actually teaching and I showed one of my students and they were like, oh, I didn't know there were any blockbusters still around. I'm like, there's not, you know, there's just uh, this movie. There's one. There is one left. In Alaska or something, right? If I remember correctly. But like I was thinking about how back when Blockbuster was still open, I would go and keep re-renting Brave Fencer Musashi. And like those were the days for me, man. I'd go and keep re-renting that game. And I'd sit there and I'd read the covers of movies, see what's hot. And like if something was, it, it was weird because it's just the idea of seeing that something was desired by people. And if I had one, I was like, yes, sweet, I'm going to go home and watch this. It made me feel nostalgic. I think that's the whole, that's one big thing working for this film is it's it's a nostalgia flick at at heart. But hold on, hold on a second. I'm, I'm stalking the actual check-in desk right here waiting for a movie because it's not, it wasn't on the shelf, but I'm really waiting for this movie. So I'm waiting for if it gets turned in. I'm just like <laughs> waiting for a few minutes longer. All right, it's there. It's coming in. It's coming coming in. All right, what about Bob? All right, I want got to see that. All right, got it, got it. Somebody's bound to turn one in. No, I think the movie has a lot of nostalgia going for it. And it, it to me personally, I don't know about you, but it feels like what Green Lantern flick should have been. I agree with you on that. It actually feels a lot more fun than that flick. And I think probably Ryan Reynolds would probably agree with you. You notice when she did crash in the initial part of the trailer, what section did she crash into? If you notice carefully on the top left-hand corner, it says action, and it's got an arrow. It's almost like pointing directly on her. So I'm sure there's a lot of other cookies and nuggets, and I've seen other videos that break it down entirely. And some of them, it's funny because on the same clip and the same scene, all these major sites, one will have it this way that they think this is here, and another one will have it that, oh, no, no, it's this person and this person or it's this person and that person, and it's two totally different answers. So it's kind of funny how all these breakdown videos don't have a uniform type deal 100%. It is a pretty good trailer in my opinion. Overall, I thought it was very enjoyable. I think it sets up her very well as far as the type of past that she had. Maybe it's dreams, maybe it's not. What she was doing now as far as the Star Force But before we go into a little bit more on the the trailer itself, can you give a little backstory on Captain Marvel herself? Yeah, she's a human Kree experiment. So, you know, what I can say is that she was, you know, picked up by the Kree and they experimented on her, which they showed a little bit of in the trailers. But that's how she got her power. She was a human Kree experiment. And, you know, eventually she does join the Star Force or whatever you want to call it. And they are like the, the Green Lantern core of MCU. So... She's one character that I haven't really dug too far into as far as my comic book reading, and I really want to, but I'm curious how they're going to handle her because I know like she exists in the same realm of like the Silver Surfer and Nova and heroes like that. So I'm, you know, and I saw in the trailers they're finally introducing the Kree. How is that going to work? I hope they don't go the secret invasion route because that seems like a cheap thrill to me, but who knows? And the Kree are beings that can shapeshift into different beings, uh, either inanimate or animate, as we saw and witnessed on the trailer when Captain Marvel struck an old lady. And you're asking yourself, why did she strike an old lady? But most likely the factor is that she was a Kree. 
Right. I like how there are all these articles popped up on the internet after that because they really just had to justify why she was punching an old lady. One of the things that are, is going to bother me straight up is the Star Force unit looks really tough. Like you said, it's like the Green Lantern Corps in the DC realm because Thanos is now right. In- <laughs> he's wreaking havoc he's he's doing what he needs to do he's snapping his fingers where's the star force and all this do you think they set up something as far as a destruction of the star force to set up the fact that they weren't there at the time of thanos to give them a hand you know i don't want to say that they knew about naming the film i don't think that's maybe who knows there hasn't been any like rumors or whispers of thanos being a thing in the film but you know, they showed Ronan the Accuser. I think there was something going on there. Maybe there's a war between the Kree and the Skrull, or the Kree were trying to... Maybe this is going to tie in slightly to Secret Invasion. The Kree were trying to take over Earth or whatever, and then, you know, the Captain Marvel steps in and tries to, to break it up. And, you know, a big question for a lot of people is where has she been all this time? Like with all this stuff going on in the MCU and the, the greater galaxy as a whole, where has she been? So... I think that this movie is going to answer that question and maybe give us a little more insight into why she's such an important character. And also the Star Force, the entire Star Force as well. Where are they at? That to me is a bigger question because if they are a Star Force, they should have been there protecting the galaxy in some sort, or at least have a knowledge of Thanos since there is a tie-in with Ronan, the accuser, in there as well, being... Uh, you only got a brief glimpse of him in the Captain Marvel trailer, but he is in there. He is in the movie, and he does play a part, I believe, as part of the Star Force crew. Is that correct? Yeah, he looks like it. You know, and again, maybe this will show like his path to madness or whatever. You know, a big question is: Will we just be seeing Captain Marvel in the next Infinity War, or will we be seeing Star Force as well? Who knows? You know, that's a a big question. Where's everybody been for all this time? And I think that's what a lot of fans are waiting to see answered. I think it's going to be something great and it could get started off right away with Captain Marvel when it comes out on March 8th. What are your thoughts on the entire week when it came to Marvel? Was it a week or not with all the announcements, all the rumors and the Captain Marvel trailer dropping as well? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well. Does it even make you nostalgic for Blockbuster Video? Share us your thoughts on that as well. Coming up next, we got Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Patriot Podcast in the preview upcoming for this weekend's action in the NFL. Right after that, we've got Rob McCallum in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking about Steven Spielberg. Him and I are going to go at it as far as certain films versus other certain films in his library. Which ones do we like more? Which ones do we not like more? And which ones do we just get a headache over? We're going to share our thoughts on that and so much more. Plus also at the back end, again, we've got Josh and I coming right back at you talking about Sony's big announcements at the Tokyo Game Show this week. This is the PCC Multiverse. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, 
Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. And we're back once again with the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald coming right back at you here. We are looking good for week three in the NFL. It's already started with a great game between the Browns and the Jets. Just so happy for the entire city of Cleveland that they finally got off the schneid. But let me ask you something. What is a schneid and how do we get off of it? That's (laughs) something I've always wanted to know. But anyway... (laughs) get into that here in a sec when it comes to fantasy football and week three in the NFL and who better to preview week three in the NFL but my good friend he is the fantasy football guru of pop culture cosmos you got to check out the fantasy football pater podcast it's available today on the pop culture cosmos channel on podbean spotify apple podcasts and over 30 different major outlets it is my good friend who I hope knows what a schneid is it is Tyler Baker. Can you I, help me, man? I have no schneiding idea what a schneid is. <laughs> but I do know that it feels like Cleveland won the Super Bowl. The one in one in one Cleveland Browns. It feels like there's energy there. It's all up from here. That's that's what I'll just I'll leave it with that. But yes, congratulations to them. But it is gonna be a great weekend in the NFL for fantasy football owners. I know there's some things you want to talk about when it comes to certain injuries that you may be able to want to lean towards to or lean away from some people getting healthy, coming back into the lineup and some people staying out that you think are probably going to be out for an extended period of time. So maybe some fantasy football owners need to make some changes. I think I want to start first in Jacksonville because Mm -hmm. I've heard some good news when it comes to Leonard Fournette. Yeah, he was really close to playing last week. In fact, it looked like he was going to play last week. And then at the last minute, they decided not to roll with him because it's a, it's a hamstring injury. And anytime you have a hamstring injury, the worst thing you can do is aggravate it because then the healing time is going to get a lot longer. So they were cautious with him last week. It looks like he is going to play this week. And also TJ Yeldon there is banged up. So I would say Leonard Fournette is a really good chance to play this week against the Tennessee defense that it isn't really scaring too many people. So I have seen, and there's actually a lot of defenses are not, yeah. that are out there that are not scaring a lot of people. One of those defenses is coming up Monday night in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has been going through a little bit of turmoil. Antonio Brown is getting upset. There's some finger pointing right and left. And they're going to be going into a veritable lion's den, no pun intended, <laughs> when they actually go into Tampa Bay to face the Fitz Magic. Because the Fitz magic is definitely back. When you were talking about fledgling defenses, I couldn't tell which one you meant, Pittsburgh or Tampa Bay. <laughs> but I think it's definitely Pittsburgh. You know, they've they've gotten away from that stiff Dick, Dick LeBeau defense that just doesn't give you too much. Pittsburgh as an organization, I know it kind of looks like they might be falling apart, but let's just remember that this is one of the more stabler franchises. And while some of the Antonio Brown stuff, I think might have just been played up in the media spin and in the echo chamber there, I would expect him to come out and play well with Ben Roethlisberger, but they're going to have to overcome that defense that is more than likely going to give away a lot of points. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're just, 
the, the Fitz magic is back. And I don't know if the Pittsburgh defense is the one that's going to slow that down. So if you have pieces, honestly, if you have pieces of any of either one of these offenses, I would be playing them this week. And I think, I think there could be a lot of fantasy points on Monday night. Before we get into something that I want to talk about when it comes to Southern California per se, and I'll elaborate more on that a little bit later at the end here, your thoughts on the weekend as a whole, what are some of the players that you think people need to target, some information that you've come up with, and some matchups that might be favorable for them to look out for for this weekend? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to see Carson Wentz back in action. That's a good thing. The bad thing is that offense is really banged up. I would expect Philadelphia hosts Indianapolis, and I would expect Carson Wentz to probably not get off to a really good start. So if you've been saving him, I don't know if this week is the week to play him. It just depends on who else you have at quarterback. But I would expect Zacherts to get peppered with a lot of targets on Sunday. Also, Corey Clement looks like he might be the guy there. J.H.I. is hurt. Darren Sproles does not look like he's going to play. So I would expect Clement, if J.H.I. doesn't play, to get a lot of work as well. They did sign Jordan Matthews again. I don't know how big of a fantasy impact Matthews is going to be, but I do know that that will probably, if he plays this weekend, it'll probably push Nelson Aguilar to the outside. And the reason why they got rid of Jordan Matthews is because they preferred Aguilar in the slot. So it'll be interesting to see what that juggle is. But all of that, I think, is null when Ashawn Jeffrey comes back, and that should be next week, maybe one more week. They're being cautious with him. But what the Eagles are doing here is they're being cautious with both Wentz and Jeffrey, and they're not going to bring them back on the field until those guys are 100% healthy, ready to go. So I think Wentz is healthy, ready to go. I'm just not sure that that offense is going to be firing on all cylinders, missing so many important pieces. One thing I got to talk to you about before we head on out, my friend, we can also talk about some other things, maybe some tips and things of that nature. But before we head on out, one of the matchups I did want to make sure that we talk about before we get into it when it comes to week three in the NFL was the Battle of LA. The battle of the two teams that can't fill their own stadium with their own fans out in the, between the Rams and the Chargers, who all jokes aside, are very good teams. And mm-hmm. actually, both of them could have some real playoff aspirations. Yeah, there's a lot of really good fantasy options on both of these teams. I think the Chargers get slowed down a little bit this week. They haven't this year yet played a defense as good as the Rams. I do kind of like Austin Eckler for the Chargers. The Rams in week one when they faced Oakland, it was Jalen Richard that got a lot of work. There was a lot of underneath stuff uh, coming out of the backfield. And the Chargers have a really good talent in Eckler. So I would expect Eckler's stock to continue to go up this week. Not to negate what Melvin Gordon's going to do, but I see a, a lot of opportunity and I think it's going to be a really good football game. But if you have players on either one of these teams, it's really hard to sit them, especially some of those weapons that the Rams have. You almost have to play Cooper Cup, you know, in your wide receiver three. 
Robert Woods, you know, he's he's a tough one in that the consistency just isn't there, but the potential certainly is. Brandon Cooks is an every week starter. Todd Gurley is an every week starter. If you have Jared Goff, depending on your quarterback situation, he could he could start every week. And then there's the Chargers, and then, and you could say a lot for that Chargers team as well. A little foggy there at receiver after Keenan Allen. Mike Williams, I think, is going to continue to come on. He's a nice big target for them, and they love throwing to him in the end zone. So if if he's out on your waiver wire and maybe you have a bench spot to burn, you might want to pick up Mike Williams. And as we all know, the Rams, I'll tell you what, they're loaded pretty much at right at almost every position mm-hmm. on both the offense and defense. They, to me, so far in the early going, look like the best team in the NFL. I'm not going to argue at all with that. I think they are the best team in the NFL. And last but not least, I mean, is there anything that people need to go ahead and focus on this coming weekend? Obviously, if you have any questions out there, you can always hit up Tyler Baker on the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group. You can ask him questions there on lineup changes, trade requests, trades that you think you might want to make, waiver wire pickups. Just give him a snapshot of anything that you're looking at, and you go ahead and he'll give you an answer on that. If you get a chance, Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group. There's also over 200 individuals there that might also give you their opinions so you can get a great opinion on exactly what you need to do for your fantasy football team. Last thing I want to go into, my friend, is some things that you're looking at as far as uh, maybe some subtle changes that people might want to consider making when it comes to the third weekend in the NFL. Well, in Cincinnati, Joe Mixon's going to be out for a couple of weeks, so Giovanni Bernard is definitely the guy there. I don't know how much of a fantasy asset Mayfield is going to be. But I know it does a lot of good for Jarvis Landry and also Antonio Callaway. If Antonio Callaway is available in your league, you need to go pick him up. He had 10 targets tonight. And now the Cleveland Browns have 10 days. They have a long week to prepare for week four, knowing that Baker Mayfield is going to be under center. And we could see some good things from the 1-1-1 one, one, and one Cleveland Browns in week four. Definitely. But we will talk more about that on our Monday episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. But for a really detailed breakdown of the fantasy football scene, check us out each week. It comes out either Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on the time zone that you're at, on the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, which is now a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos channel. You can catch it today on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so many other different outlets. My friend, it's going to be a great weekend in the NFL again. Thank goodness I'm not playing you. (laughs) I think a lot of people say that. (laughs) Yes, yes. So far this season, you are definitely the hot man indeed when it comes to fantasy football. Again, if you have any questions, check it out today, the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group and our full episodes today. Tyler, just cannot thank you enough for being part of the show, part of the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, and of course, right here at the PCC Multiverse. Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, 
head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. It's the man himself at Rob McCallum Films. You gotta check out all the great stuff that's going on with Rob McCallum Films today at robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and at Rob McZob on Twitter. It's my good friend. It is Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Recently, I had a chance to sit down and watch the Spielberg Biodoc on HBO. It's available on iTunes as well if you guys want to check it out for rental or purchase. And of course, it's everything that you'd hope to be candid interviews with the director and his family and a a nice, carefully thought out trip through all the different films that he's made and the time that he spent crafting different stories and narratives and, and making films. And it got me really thinking about what could be the ultimate Spielberg showdown, almost like the great debate, Gerald, that lovely series from yesteryear where I pit impossible sides against one another and you have to figure out which is the best. So I've got a bunch of Spielberg films, okay? And the question is, which would you rather have in your collection? All right? Not what's better, not what's more important. Which would you rather have in your collection? Okay? Fair enough. Shoot it at me, man. Shoot it the at first me. pair is Jaws versus Jurassic Park. Both blockbusters, both revitalized the blockbuster. Jaws, obviously, maybe the first big blockbuster, but Jurassic Park, a real return to form and really put summer movies back on the map in 1993. Wowed audiences, ushered in the age of CG. Jaws versus Jurassic Park, what do you want in your collection? Well, I know you're going to not like me for this. I know you're a huge JP fan, but I'm going to have to go with the original Meg himself. Let's go for the shark. It's not surprising that you're picking something wrong um it's okay i'm used to you being incorrect on this show well i think the interaction between the main characters itself and the tension that builds to me is to me makes jaws a better movie than jurassic park it's not about it's not about a better movie which do you want in your collection which are more likely to watch over and over again that's why i would watch it over and over again just because i don't think you would watch jaws more times in your life than you'd watch jurassic park ah yes i would i just think think jurassic park to me is a slasher movie i've watched it a slasher movie here we go it is a glorified slasher movie man it's jaws is a drama on a boat well you need a bigger boat so yeah. yeah all right next pair up close encounters or war of the worlds for me i'm gonna probably say war of the worlds close encounters wow. is, I, i've seen close encounters once a long long time ago i enjoyed it for what it was but it was moving at a snail's pace i think as far as the actual speed of it i just that to me was probably the the lone setback that caused me to say hey okay i watched it i'm done with it I would probably say War of the Worlds. I think it's it's paced a little bit quicker. It's a little bit geared towards modern audiences. And maybe it's because my tastes have evolved over the years with movie making. 
And sometimes it's harder for me to get into older movies now because of the fact that so many movies these days are filmed at such a faster pace. So I'd probably say War of the Worlds at this point in time, although that has a lot of issues as well. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with War of the Worlds. There are moments and sequences that I really like in that film. But I got to go Close Encounters on this one for a lot of reasons. One, it's like the first big film Spielberg got to do without anybody on his butt about what do you want to do. He played a, a pivotal role in, in writing that screenplay. He went over budget. He went over time. But that film is exactly what he wanted unequivocally without anybody interfering in any kind of way. And I think it is a real masterpiece for him. And I would, even though I, I've seen more of the world's more than Close Encounters, going forward, I'm more likely to watch Close Encounters more than War of the Worlds. The next pair, here we go. Hook versus Catch Me If You Can. I would definitely say Catch Me If You Can. Hook to me is just something I saw it and I think I want my life back. Those two hours of my life back. I just think it just was... I feel sorry for Dustin Hoffman. I feel sorry for Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams. Rest in peace. It just, it was just not good. It's just, uh, and uh, to me, Catch Me If You Can is a nice story. One of the great things I like to see every now and then from Steven Spielberg films is just, there's a simplistic story to it and a, a simplistic feel to some of his movies. And one of those is Catch Me If You Can. It, I really kind of like the charm that it has. It doesn't try to go out of its way to do too much, but just make for an entertaining time. I'm a huge fan of Catch Me If You Can. I really like the play between Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. Christopher Walken is fantastic in it. Again, Hook has some really awesome moments. It's that sequel to a classic tale that we've all wanted. And I don't think anybody but Spielberg could have really taken something like that on and had the success that he did have regardless of what you think of the results. There are really nice sequences in there. I like Dustin Hoffman, especially when he goes full on like ham and cheese mode. Peter, Peter Pan, Peter Panning. Oh no, the boo box. I love all that stuff. I think it's all fun. It was also probably one of the first films that I saw with a ton of marketing behind it and a lot of uh, merchandising as well. They were really pushing it over the top. There was toys and action figures and Kenner, which had the license for it, as well as, I think it was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, rebranded actual Star Wars toys to make it part of the, the actual series. Uh, they just used the molds and put it in a different box. So that, I think that was pretty interesting too. But Catch Me If You Can is, is a classic for me. I think I've probably watched it 50 or so times. I'm a really big fan of it. So I would say it's Catch Me If You Can. The next one, I kind of know where you're going already with it. But I think it's really interesting and I don't think you... Maybe maybe you have to come back to this one in a year or so to, to really let me know how you feel, okay? The pair is Minority Report versus Ready Player One. Oh, that's easy. Minority Report all the way. See, I, <laughs> you're saying that's easy, but I think you need to give Ready Player One a little bit more time. I've, I've you, watched it. I've reviewed it. You can actually catch my review on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. It, it's a good movie. It's okay, but... There are parts of it that are just the wrong choice to make. I think that the and I would say the same thing about Minority Report, which is why um, I paired them. Minority Report is so good all the way out for me. Uh, I just think there is just so many good points. I think it's one of his best movies ever. If I, I know ever... it's your favorite Spielberg film, and I know that you can be wrong about these things, and no, that's okay. No, no, no. no. Um, it, it's I... the most underappreciated, undervalued 
movie from him, I think, that people forget about. But I think it is truly one of his best. But when it comes to Ready Player One, Ready Player One has some really... You've seen the movie, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen the behind the scenes and the making of. And in the stuff that he had to learn... And that he was willing to throw himself into out of his comfort zone and and what the conditions were to make that film is just, it it blows my mind. And there are two spectacular CG scenes in there that are just... Two. two. There's only two. two, In my opinion, that cannot be missed. That cannot be missed. But the scene where they're actually going into, I guess, uh, recreating um, The Shining from Stephen King, that was just, that was truly... Not a very good scene. What? Are you kidding me? It's was, amazing. First was, of all, he had... Even he King had, himself doesn't even like it. Yeah, but he had Kubrick's like whole production crew with him on set to see him rebuild all that and to go through that whole shtick. And uh, uh, you've read the book, right? That's the problem. I've read the okay, book. Okay, so not, they, not, they didn't use any of the puzzles from the book in translating it to the film. And I completely understand why, because there's a lot of time dedicated to it in the book. And you can't do that within the scope of a 90-minute, two-hour film. And the, the Shining one is the best Shining example of something that you can plug and play and put in there and have it work to the same essence that the book gets at. I think uh, that w- that's a highlight for me and anybody that's a-, a fan of the shining needs to see that because it'll blow your mind to see that world come to life once more. And then I think it also really serves the narrative. Well, I disagree. I think it actually, I, again, it's okay that you're wrong. It's- <laughs> see that that's not fair to well, me. You asked my opinion. I, I did. And I it's, I'm okay asking and getting a wrong opinion over and over again. Oh my gosh. Well, I, like I said, both, I would mind having on Blu-ray, especially the fact that Ready Player One is so visually illuminating for the opening and the ending sequences of the movie, which are so brilliantly done, which are looks just a pop culture explosion on a massive screen that I just truly enjoyed watching on the big screen. But it's just the the middle parts a little lag a little bit, and the fact that that the sequence with the you know Shining is just. It's not good, man. It's amazing. It's, good. it's good. It's, it's not so good. good. No, it's no, so good. Minority so Report good. for me is just a, a great movie. A waste, of, a great waste of time is what that is. No, no, couldn't. Yeah. An embarrassment to the original Philip K. Dick book. No, no, uh, no just right. Tom Cruise jumping around on flying cars. Couldn't disagree with you more. Yeah, yeah. just, just awful. Carry around people that have visions. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do do people still use dials? Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Okay, so the next one is tough, okay? The last two are tough. And again, which would you rather have in your collection? Raiders of the Lost Ark or E.T.? Easy on this one. Raiders of the Lost Ark by leaps and bounds. Even with kids? Even with kids. Uh, well, I wouldn't show it to the kids. But e- <laughs> I'd have to tell them that uh, I'd have to show them that behind the scenes footage of how they made that scene with the, you know, the eyes melting and the, and when they open up the sarcophagus, you know, when they open up the ark and there you go. And it's like all that, you know, I'd have to show them that scene behind the scenes first before you actually show them the movie. But 
I would say definitely for me, Rare's Lost Ark. It's just such a, a fun movie to watch. And you get appreciation for Steven Spielberg's childlike enthusiasm for projects when you see that one and you see the third one, Last Crusade, yes, with Sean Connery. I, those two movies are really fun to watch, and I would definitely like to have those as part of the collection. E.T. I was never a fan of at the time. But you're talking I childlike but excitement. I understand there is the nothing charm. more childlike excitement. I understand the charm, e. but I think it was the fact that just it was just out there and it was pushed out onto the public at that point in time when it came out that it was just so it was almost like it was force fed onto the public as far as how cute, how adorable, how mass merchandise this was. And I think I probably just revolted on it. It's a very nice storytelling medium. It's a very nice and charming movie when they all get said and done. But for me, it's just sometimes goes over on the cuteness. And I just think it, I, at that t- point in time in my life, I just like this. I want nothing to do with this movie. I just think it for me, it would be Screw rare. Screw you, Star. Spielberg. You sold out, man. You so you had me at Jaws, then you lost me at E.T. No, no, I, you know, Rare's Lost Ark. That was like right around the time when Harrison Ford really was getting into a groove as far as some really great roles, and definitely, I, I think he embodies the spirit of what a lot of people would like to go through as far as being an adventurer and going through that realm where everything is is exciting around every turn and. I can't say enough good things about Raiders of the Lost Ark as a whole movie. And it obviously a lot of Spielberg's imprint on, on his life and, and his culture and his background in regards to what the movie is portrayed as well. All right. The last one I got for you is Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. Now that one is a close one. That one I would like to have both because both are really excellent movies. And I've told you this before. I think the opening sequence, well, actually, not it's not the actual opening opening of it, but the after the first... The storming uh, of the beach. Yeah, the storming of the beach itself, the actual D-Day and whatnot, that sequence is probably one of the two or three most brilliant sequences I've ever seen on a big screen in my life. The movie itself after that is pretty good, but it has a couple of points where it's, it kind of gets a little, a little too mushy. Schindler's List is an excellent movie throughout with some just outstanding performances by Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley, which is part of the reason why it's kind of hard to get into Ben Kingsley's latest role, where he is the exact opposite of what he did in Schindler's List. So it's kind of hard to believe him in the role that he's currently in. And Well, one of the interesting facts while you're checking that out, Gerald, that I learned from the Spielberg documentary uh, on Operation HBO. Finale. Operation Finale, yeah, where he plays a former Nazi commander and whatnot that that they're trying to go after. So, one of the interesting facts that I learned about Saving Private Ryan while watching the Spielberg documentary is that they shot it chronologically. I didn't know that they had done that chronologically because he really wanted to put all the actors in the mindset, and he also made all the actors, aside from Matt Damon and Tom Hanks, go through boot camp. And he left those two guys out because they already had some military experience from what I understand. So they were pardoned from everybody else had to go through an actual regimented boot camp. So they know what it would be like to train under those conditions and then to shoot the whole film chronologically to preserve that emotional kind of through line. For me, that one would be an extremely close race. I would actually like both of them. Well, you got to pick one to go in your collection. Which is it going to be? I'd probably have to say... Uh, let's go with Schindler's List. You're wrong it, again. It's it's such a it's such a great movie f- throughout. Uh, it's but, a great movie, but which are you going to really watch more often? 
but I'm going to probably shut it off after the first 20 minutes because. But you're going to watch it more than you're going to watch all the Schindler's list. Well, yeah, I catch myself. Five will, hours long. I will say I catch myself watching that opening sequence a lot on television, even to this day. I, so maybe you're right on that one. Yeah, I got to go pro- Saving Private Ryan. I think there's, if you can say a film is more fun or a little bit more engaging. Saving Private Ryan is definitely a little bit more engaging on on my side. Which did you th- want to throw at me? Which pair? Okay, so I got a pair for you here. Ready? This goes a little bit in the Wayback Machine, some of his first offerings. Oh, what are we going to do? Like Amblin and Duel? Well, hold on. 1942? What are we doing? No, not 1942. I think he tries to forget that one. Duel versus Sugarland Express. Uh, I'd have to go with Duel. Uh, even though it was a made-for-TV movie, I... And a lot of that's probably because I've watched this documentary and hear him really talk about it and dissect it compared to Sugarland Express. Again, it's just like that, you know, faceless monster constantly chasing you down and having been on a number of road trips and having driven across North America to the extent that I have, it's just something that I can relate to a little bit more. I agree with you on that. I think it's a very underappreciated movie. One of his best early movies and something that actually could translate well into a rebooted type thing if he ever wanted to get back and into or somebody else wanted to pick up the property and whatnot. Because I think, like you said, from a storytelling medium, from a tense, from a suspense aspect, I think it tells a great story, great narrative even today. And I think Dennis Weaver's performance in the movie just really sells it for me. I think that's what really what what really just put it over the top as a one of his best early movies going on. All right, here's another tough one. This isn't even really fair. This is sequels: Temple of Doom or The Lost World. Well, I'd have to go with The Lost World because Temple of Doom is one of the worst worst films of all time. See, I'm I'm teeing it up for you just so that we can be friends a little bit longer and continue to do the Well, your your opinion your opinion on Temple of Doom? How bad is that movie? Because it's really bad. It's It's, that campfire scene is just atrocious. It wasn't going to be a big budget thing that it was going to be really self-contained, but have a really great story. And then Temple of Doom opens up like a James Bond film. There's the coming out of the airplane in a raft. There's all the weird creature things on the campfire. You know, I really love the minecart race scene. I think that's really fun, but it's been done a million times since it doesn't have the magic. And I don't think that the mythology of temple is as strong as the Christian mythology that they use in Raiders and Last Crusade to go with in Hindu culture just isn't universal enough to have the same kind of awe-inspiring power. It doesn't have the same mythos that's tied to other things, like the Holy Grail has been written about a billion times. The Ark of the Covenant has been written about a billion times. And I think also Harrison Ford's performance was actually very underserved. Uh, he almost walked through the picture himself. It just he wasn't very he wasn't utilized in the picture very well, in my opinion. Plus the fact that unfortunately, sorry to Steven Spielberg out there, but his future wife at that point in time and the kid in there were just absolutely nauseating and annoying to just no extent. The way they were screaming, they were, they were overacting, both just I could have done without and and the fact that they overtook the picture and they took a lot of it away from Harrison Ford, which I think a lot of people at that time were wanting to go and see leads into the fact that it's just such a bemoaned picture. And uh, I don't know anybody who tells me that they like it. I just, 
leaves me scratching. You instantly put them in another category, and that's fine. They can sit there and they can have their thoughts and opinions, but they're always going to be in that category. It's just uh, it's a nauseating movie. They are putting a similar plastic box in which that I have put you in for some of your opinions. It's fine that you can have whatever you want. You'll always just be in this plastic box. Sometimes you dip your toe or your arm outside of it to the to the realm of sanity and rational thinking, and you join me in such a, a blessed plane of existence. But for the most part, you're concealed to this plastic dungeon of despair. I'm just reaching out right now and trying to grab your heart. I see that. And you know, it's funny because most people of my generation and, and age, Temple is their favorite because they grew up and as kids and they saw it when it came to VHS, that was one of the first films that they really connected to. It is definitely more family friendly than say a Raiders or even Last Crusade is. Like you said, with the eyeball melting scene, I'm sure if you put it on for your daughters, they would probably respond more to Temple than they would to Raiders. So it's definitely kid friendly. That doesn't make it better, but that that's that's that thing. Well, I mean, it's about all about telling a narrative. And unfortunately, the narrative that's told in a Temple of Doom is just, it's not a very good one. And it, with all the other accentuating factors that we've talked about, it is probably one of the worst movies that he's ever been a part of. So check out the Spielberg documentary. Again, it's available on iTunes, or if you have access to HBO, check it out. I believe it's up for Emmy consideration uh, as well for a standalone uh, nonfiction piece. Well, that'll do it for another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. Crossfire! Let us know what you think. Of course, Gerald, where can they get a hold of us? Hey, well, you can get a hold of us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and at Rob McZob on Twitter as well. Until next time then, I guess. Until next time, it's always great to have you a part of the show, my friend, part of the Pop Culture Cosmos, and of course, right here in the middle of the cosmic crossfire. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. Want to thank so much Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Full episodes on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, and also my good friend, Rob McCallum, in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. Full episodes of his show, Cosmic Crossfire, is on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel as well. Check out our schedule on the Facebook page for Pop Culture Cosmos. We have a listing of every single radio station that plays us because we're being played seven days a week on radio and are on over 30 different podcast networks. Josh, Share some thoughts on what's going on with your awesome thing known as Humanica Media. We just put out a new episode today about the education system, whether or not it needs an overhauling. But Topic Ocalypse is on the podcast radio network every Tuesday night. I want to actually thank also as well the great reviews that you've given our Pop Culture Cosmos channel. want to thank so much J Dutch, VFU, The Scope, Average Guys, and Jason Horton, all five stars cannot thank you enough for doing so we truly appreciate it and if you do go ahead and send out a five-star review we are truly humbled truly appreciative 
And we'll give you even a shout out right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. So Josh, on the way out, my friend, want to talk Sony at the Tokyo Game Show this week. Yes, there was a lot of cool trailers that came out, really cool, a lot of JRPGs, a lot of other games that are coming on the way. We saw some more Kingdom Hearts 3, which is supposedly still coming out in January, keeping my fingers crossed. I want to ask you this, my friend. The first major announcement that they made, everybody went gaga over, but it wasn't really too much of a surprise because you knew it was coming. We've seen a mini Nintendo. We've seen another mini Nintendo. We've seen a mini Sega announced. And now we see a mini PlayStation now on its way with 20 built-in games. Your thoughts on the mini PlayStation on its way to consumers later this year. I was initially excited about it, but then I heard that the disc tray was actually just for show and you can actually put games in there so you know their big player that they announced was final fantasy 7 but again you know we discussed final fantasy 7's coming out on the switch this year i think but i have a lot of playstation games that i would love to have a sony console to play them on but to me there's just not really like i like ridge racer sure i like tekken sure I want to know what else is coming out. If it's only 20 games, like I really don't think it's worth the time. And I honestly don't feel like PlayStation is retro enough to be something that's worthy of having a retro console version made of it. That might just be me, but where do you stand on that? I didn't like the fact that they only announced five games. If you only have 20 and you only announce five of them, that kind of is, is a bummer for 100 bucks. I mean, these are all old games we can go to our good friends at Retro City Games and buy and play off of a real PlayStation and play hundreds more. That, to me, is more appealing for around the same price, but it's going to be this cool little setup. It's a smaller version. They could have gone ahead and already announced the rest of them. I think that would have gotten even more interest, but I've seen social media reactions to it. A lot of people are excited. For me, it's not that big of a deal. But then again, none of these mini consoles really get me going because I could just go out and play those old games instead and have a lot more fun because I would be playing a lot more games. The other announcement that was made in regards to Sony is announcing that they do plan to cease production finally for the PlayStation Vita in Japan next year. And in 2019, it looks like it will be the last year for that. Your thoughts on the final, 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 final death for the PlayStation Vita? This has been a long time coming, I feel like. I would love to see Sony re-release some of like the, the Vita and the PSP games on like a digital marketplace. They haven't even done like a classics marketplace on the PS4, so this could be something that could really drive people towards the PS5 when it finally gets announced and we get some like price points and stuff like that. You know, it's sad to see the, the Sony handheld console go, but it's it seems like it's it's kind of been beaten to death, and Sony kind of wants to get it off their hands, it feels like to me. I actually still have mine. I actually have enjoyed it over the years, and, and just the, it was the games, the number of games, the quality of the games, just never made it to the PlayStation Vita. The Vita itself, I thought, was far superior in quality to the 3DS as far as what it could do, the horsepower for it. And I thought it just was an overall better system. And the fact that it had the remote play to the PlayStation 4 was was kind of a cool feature, something that we now easily see with the Nintendo Switch having that hybrid even more so than the Vita. But the Vita got it started. The Vita was something that was given a raw deal. It was never given the love that I believe it should have been. 
And it was just ultimately a matter of time before the Vita would be going by the wayside and be part of the video game consoles of the past. What are your thoughts out there on the Sony announcements this week at the Tokyo Game Show, the impending death of the Vita, and also as well the impending arrival of the PlayStation Mini? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. So, Josh, before we head on out, want to make sure everybody knows this weekend, if you are in the Las Vegas and Henderson area, we would truly appreciate you joining us on Saturday evening at Retro City Games and on Sunday at the Press Start Gaming Center. Both of those locations will be holding tournaments and challenges and a party night and all the proceeds will be going to the victims of the Jacksonville tragedy last month. It's going to be hosted by Mario Party Wars. We're going to be streaming from one of the locations at Retro City Games on Saturday. Hopefully we'll see you there. Come by, say hi. We'd love to hear from you. And like I said, all the proceeds, donations will all be going to the victims of the Jacksonville tragedy. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a gray day. Did you know the ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help, and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret. All your favorite shows will still be available for free, as always. But you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. To sign for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is go to ESOPodcast.com and click on the link. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.